Hey, I'm Mel. And I'm Andres, and you're listening to Mixtape, your favorite Afro-Latin podcast. What she said. The Mixtape podcast aims to build awareness of the ways racist behaviors and ideas manifest in the Afro-Latin dancing. Follow us on Instagram at mixtape.podcast and click our link tree in the bio to learn more. Today's track is inspired by the song Señora Bachata, Lady Bachata, by José Manuel Carderón, Blas Durán, Leonardo Paniagua, and Luis Segura. Today, we're listening to Prieta Linda, Beautiful Dark-Skinned Woman, written by Mexican popular music composer Manuel Pomian and performed here by Ramón Cordero. Ramón Cordero was a bachatero born in San Francisco de Marcoris in the countryside of the Dominican Republic in 1940. He was one of the pioneers of bachata music in the 1960s who frequently performed and recorded alongside fellow bachatero Edilio Paredes, often adapting Mexican songs to bachata. An example of this is Prieta Linda, whose original version, created around 1948, was composed as a bolero de arrabal, which you would translate as something like low-class bolero. This type of song was characteristic of composer Manuel Pomian, who specialized in lyrics of love and heartbreak. One of the original renditions of the song is by Mexican singer, actor and composer Miguel Aceves Mejia, who performed it as a ranchera. Ramón Cordero's version is of course a bachata, different in rhythm but true to bachata's original focus on heartbreak and sorrow. Ramón sings, Hace tiempo que yo guardo un sufrimiento, recordando lo que tú fuiste en mi vida. I've been suffering for a while, remembering what you were in my life. He continues, Tú eres de otro y yo sigo siendo tuyo. Es tan triste querer tanto a mi prietita. Dime que me diste, prieta linda. Creo que me tienes enyerbado. You belong to another man and I'm still yours. It's so sad to love my dark-skinned woman so much. Tell me, what did you give me, beautiful dark-skinned woman? I think you gave me a potion. You can almost feel the singer's heartbreak in your own heart, right? That's some original bachata right there. As for the word Prieta, in Mexico, where the song was composed, the word has been used for both Afro-descendant and native-descendant people of dark skin. That said, in the Dominican Republic, the meaning of Prieta, at the time Ramón Cordero first sang Prieta Linda, is more than likely to have been closer to an Afro-Dominican dark-skinned woman. If you're curious about the song or about Ramón Cordero, check our sources for this episode. Welcome to the fourth episode of our second season, Señora Bachata. This is Mixtape. Welcome to the Mixtape podcast and thank you for joining us on our rhythm season. If you are listening for the first time because something about today's episode has drawn you in, you should know that in this season, we explore different Afro-Latin and African rhythms we encounter while social dancing. In one of these episodes, we discuss a rhythm, and in the subsequent Were You Listening episode, we feature a song with the associated rhythm. 
That's right. We discuss the history of the rhythm as well as the movement associated with it, and we discuss how we can continue to center and recognize its black Afro-Latin roots. So far, we have produced episodes on samba, that wonderful Afro-Brazilian rhythm, the universe of Afro-Cuban rhythms, and last month, we explored the blend of rhythms known as salsa. This month, we are talking about another very popular rhythm in our dance scene, bachata. If you are listening and are not familiar with the Afro-Latin dance scene in the United States, you should know that bachata is an incredibly popular genre of music and dance within this scene. In the rotation of music as social dancing events, we often hear bachata played right after a series of salsa songs. So, I think the order in which we are touching on bachata is pretty consistent with what we hear at our social dancing parties. I think that's absolutely correct. We all know that here in the US, if you've danced three or four salsa songs, that señora bachata is coming your way, so you better be prepared. I gotta say that in the development of this episode, we went all the way out of our way in the crusade to center and recognize Bachata's black roots. However, it still felt incredibly difficult. From finding academic work done by people of color, to getting Bachata instructors and professional dancers to talk to us, our invitations just kept getting rejected. As some of you probably know, Bachata has its roots in the Dominican Republic, one of the two countries on the island of La Española in the Caribbean. What's the other country in the island, you ask? Well, that's Haiti, the second country in Latin America to gain independence and the first one to do it through an abolitionist, revolutionary movement. Although the Dominican Republic has the largest percentage of mulatos, loosely speaking mixed-race Afro-descendants in the world, researcher Angelina Maria Talaj Garcia explains in her work that there is a deracialized consciousness or a hidden or concealed African ancestry and black identity that emerges as part of Dominican national identity. This is a stark contrast compared to what we've learned about samba, Afro-Cuban rhythms, and salsa, which have music, dances, and stories of black joy and resistance explicitly threaded into the fabric of the rhythm. Given that bachata appeared to be less explicit in this regard, Constructing this episode became an opportunity for us to be very open to what we could learn about the black contribution to the bachata rhythm and whether this deracialized consciousness that is common to the identity of the Dominican Republic shows up in the bachata dance scene. To begin this conversation, we wanted to dive into a brief history of the Dominican Republic and link what we know about the country's development to the bachata rhythm. By the 16th century, Santo Domingo, what is today the Dominican Republic, had already started serving as the port of entry to enslaved Africans during the transatlantic enslaved trade. Since Spanish colonizers ignored the western part of the island of La Española, French buccaneers started to settle there over time and the two colonial empires ended up sharing the island. In 1821, after more than 300 years of Spanish rule, Santo Domingo gained independence from Spain. Soon after, however, they sought political stability under Haiti, who had overthrown the French regime 17 years earlier. This decision brought all of La Española under one Haitian government by 1822. The following 22 years as a united island proved very difficult. There were numerous conflicts in language, race, religion, and traditions between Dominicans and Haitians, which resulted in feelings of resentment against Haitians who Dominicans saw as their oppressors. In 
the Dominican Republic became an independent country once more in 1844, this time independent from Haiti. The descendants of the white Creole colonial ruling class conceptualized the national identity of the new nation. In this conceptualization, Haiti was viewed as the exclusive container of blackness in the island, which, as scholars suggest, influenced the Dominican imagination to see themselves as not black. Fast forward to the 1930s. In that decade, Rafael Trujillo started serving officially as president. He would later become a dictator, lasting in power until his assassination in 1961. Trujillo publicly encouraged anti-Haitian prejudice with fears of quote-unquote darkening of the Dominican people. But he went much further. In 1937, Trujillo ordered the slaughter of about 20,000 Haitians in what is known as the Parsley Massacre. Sadly, this desire for distinction from the black racial identity, particularly as it relates to Haiti, is still alive in the Dominican Republic. Back in the 1930s, Trujillo had based his presidential campaign around merengue. He knew the rural majority of voters were going to react favorably to it. Merengue, it is said, held a key to politics as a powerful form of social commentary and was promoted as a national symbol. Bachata, on the other hand, came with a social stigma. Trujillo himself despised bachata, wanting all the music played publicly to reflect a modern society. Bachateros, who were often poor, rural, or uneducated, did not reflect his image of a modern regime. The word bachata used to mean a party in the countryside and was characterized by all-night alcohol-fueled affairs typically starting on Saturday evening and concluding at dawn on Sunday. Guitar music was always included for dancing. The music is characterized by its arpeggiated picking rather than strumming of the guitar and by its subject matter, lost love or love desired. Given its conception among the economically disadvantaged, Bachata remained confined to the margins of Dominican society for nearly three decades, but two major events contributed to its rise in popularity. First, mass migration of Dominicans to the United States created a new market for Bachata. For those in the United States, Bachata became a symbol of home. The second event, and what's behind Bachata's rise in popularity, took place in 1990 with the release of Bachata Rosa by Dominican musician Juan Luis Guerra. As a result of these two events, bachata groups like Monchi Alexandra and Aventura, as well as artists including Romeo Santos and Prince Royce, have expanded the genre in the United States and around the world. Our first guest, Wilfredo José Burgos Matos, is a doctoral student at the University of Texas at Austin. He's a singer, writer, performance artist, and musicologist whose research interests are in Dominican music, sound studies, and race and blackness. We had a wonderful conversation with him as he helped us navigate this rhythm and its black roots. Wilfredo began by explaining the key historical events that contributed to the development and popularization of bachata in the Dominican Republic. There are many significant events that um, mark the boom of bachata at, at many stages. 
um, after the post-dictatorship, right? So it is a rhythm that basically boom, um, you know, has its boom and it flourishes after the death and the assassination of Rafael Trujillo. So one of the key elements after that um, was the inclusion of bachata programming in a radio station called Radio Guarachita in Santo Domingo. So although it's, you know, musicalities from El Campo and the countryside, uh, bachata became widely popular in urban spaces, right? So it's kind of like an urban phenomenon. And those, you know, that phenomenon, a phenomenon um, is mostly placed on the outskirts of the city of Santo Domingo in places that we, um, that people call in English shanty towns, right? Um, which tends to be a little um, pejorative <laughs> to say the least. But many of the bachateros that were looking for success, whether they were from poor families, you know, they came from poor families from the countryside or simply wanted success in the musical field, you know, dominated by merengue and bolero in the 60s, when that's when Bachata was first recorded, they looked forward to be featured in Radio Guarachita by one of its main producers and hosts called um, Radames Aracena. So once you were in Aracena's good graces, your music, in this case, Bachata, was going to be played through the radio station and such popularity was then gonna be followed by other radio stations. So the inclusion of that bachata programming in Radio Guarachita is definitely uh, one of the key events to make, you know, or that made bachata um, so popular in the Dominican Republic. Now, um, at this point, uh, Bachata, even with Radio Guarachita and, you know, listening to it in every radio station after that, it was still a very um, looked down upon rhythm. So its full popularity does not come completely until the 1990s with the launching of Bachata Rosa by Juan Luis Guerra. So although the majority of the songs um, in this production are not necessarily bachatas, when it comes to musical terms, you know, um, instrumentation, syncopation, etc., it definitely was significant to see its name in such a wildly popular album, right? Because it was just like this big international boom everywhere. It was in like the Billboard charts forever, <laughs> pretty much between the 1990s and 1990 and 1992. So it can be kind of like argued that even with the simplicity of using the name of the genre, bachata, you know, that's basically what made it possible for the rhythm to start losing its stigma in the upper crusts of Dominican society and its diaspora, you know, because even the name bachata was considered to be what a backyard gathering, you know, of low class people or classless individuals just having fun today. We still use that in many Caribbean islands, right? Um, the, the term bachata, uh, but then having to associate it with the name that added like another layer. And it was certainly difficult for this black or dark skinned Dominicans, bachateros, you, you know, to kind of like get their point across and, and be respected and recognized in like the broader arena 
of things in the musical landscape of the island. So pretty much Radio Guarachita and um, the popularization of Bachata Rosa were definitely at the center of, of the boom um, and the internationalization, let's call it that, of Bachata. We asked Wilfredo to say more about the link between the fall of the dictatorship of Trujillo and the uptake of Bachata as an important event. Yes, the thing is that um, Trujillo <laughs> made um, the merengue the national rhythm, right? And he basically whitened a little bit of like the scene of uh, Dominican merengue, which was also another rhythm from the countryside. So that was, you know, Trujillo made merengue respectable. And bachata was associated to the backyards, to the brothels, to sex work, you know, to the things that were not supposed to become a part of the imaginary or the vision, right, that we have of the Dominican Republic, um, which is supposed to be um, a Spaniard, Spanish, you know, type of place in the world and in the Caribbean. So the fact that Bachata, like bachateros, had to wait until Trujillo died to record it. It's very telling of the stigma that it had, you know, um, since the very beginning of this, like explorations with rhythm. Because one of the things that happens with bachata is that um, these bachateros didn't really know that they were doing a different type of bolero. <laughs> you know, but um, they knew that the style that they were using, the lyrics they were using, the, the experiences that they were portraying were not necessarily, you know, of the liking of the upper crust of the society or the dictatorship or to, you know, follow the guidelines of the national ideologies. So the government was not very fond of the music that was being played in rural and poorer areas of the country. We wanted to know what they were singing about and what this music signified for the artists and for the government. Right. So one of the interesting things about bachata, and that's something that I kind of touch on when it comes to my work, um, is how much of bachata lyrics are an archive of the Dominican condition, right? So one of the things that you will find in bachata um, are lyrics, of course, of heartbreak, but also about poverty, um, about not being able to move from one place to the other because of you know insufficient financial um, um, funds or um, instability, financial instability. And um, basically, they were kind of creating these poetics, you know, it's, it's talking about these poetics of um, the lower classes, you know, and the classless people. So they were using uh, that um, language, you know, to include it into this new form um, that was evolving from Bolero to kind of like 
sing a little bit about what they were going through, you know, and about the injustice, yes, and the disparities that they have had to go through because of where they were born, born in, you know, um, or how they, they came to be as individuals in Dominican society. So it basically, you know, the lyrics were basically going against the image that Trujillo wanted to sell of the Dominican Republic. So it's like, uh, no, we're not gonna have this black Dominican talking about, you know, not having un chelito to like, um, I don't know, like comprarse un pan, buy a little, you know, piece of bread or, or anything or a beer, you know, we don't need to hear that because we are such a great nation of the Caribbean. So we don't want this um, music to become a portrayal of who we are. As a researcher, my classmates and colleagues often talk about how race and class are often a proxy for each other. But even in research, we try to separate it. I wondered if this is carried over in our understanding of bachata's history. We asked Wilfredo whether bachata was originally unique to the black experience, unique to a class experience, or whether there was an overlap not explicitly mentioned. I love this question. This is where it gets interesting <laughs> because it is very funny to say that bachata, you know, lyrically, the people that made it, you know, um, what it is today, and the majority of its studies do not engage with blackness unambiguously. Okay, so it has been basically regarded as music of poor people, right, but not the music of black people which is to basically deny the whole racial composition of the island and its diaspora, right? And, and the racial identity and expressions of its, you know, its main interpreters, you know, with the exception of Juan Luis Guerra, um, who is not black, <laughs> who is not dark-skinned and who is not mulatto. So there is simply not a complete and racially driven discussion about this, you know? And that's where my work is kind of like coming, you know, um, comes in. Um, because a music genre to be black doesn't necessarily has to be explicitly black, you know, as it happens with Afro-Cuban music, for example. It's just like, yeah, we see the drums and we know that it's black music, that's that. Um, so the, kind of like many nuances and, and many layers um, to how blackness is enacted, right? And experienced and performed. Um, and bachata certainly gives out a very rich, you know, territory to continue to explore such themes, mostly when it comes to a place like the Dominican Republic. So it's that's one of the most interesting things about this, um, a rhythm is that it's not, you know, read as black music, but still the people that made it what it is, you know, are black people because the majority of them are still alive, you know, to this day. Mis ojos tan hinchados de llorar, porque estoy cansado de buscar. 
In a 2020 BBC article by Lebowit Lily Girma, they explained that 20 minutes north of Santo Domingo, the town of Villa Meja is an area home to centuries-old brotherhoods formed by enslaved Africans in the 16th century. The descendants of these enslaved Africans have preserved their ancestors' drumming traditions and syncretic religions. Dario Solano, a prominent Afro-Dominican historian working to illuminate the country's often overlooked African origins, explained to Girma that the palo or atabales is the original musical expression in the Dominican Republic. He explains that although merengue became official during the Trujillo era, the African palo was already present. Palo, he says, is our national music. In our Afro-Cuban and Samba episodes, we discussed explicit origins rooted in slavery and the religious beliefs of those enslaved. We asked Wilfredo if there is a similar relationship in bachata dancing. He offered an interesting perspective that he aims to advance in his dissertation work that connects back to the African palo. That those religious connections, African religions, and the connections with bachata are very present in the compositional patterns, you know, in the clave and the tempo of bachata, as we uh, were reminded, um, may he rest in peace, uh, by the father of Dominican rock, Luis Diaz, who sustained very fervently that bachata followed the rhythmic pattern of Afro-Dominican palo. It was always like, you have to listen to this because it has the, you know, like it has the same um, Afro-Dominican Palo patent. So in my research, I analyzed this from the lamenting voice, you know, and, and the social spaces in which bachata is present. I, one of the things I argue is that the sonscapes, you know, of bachata, these soundscapes of bachata, um, resemble that of Afro-Dominican velaciones, which are the funerary ceremonies to mourn the dead of the members of a cofradía, you know, a brotherhood um, in, in certain regions of the Dominican Republic. So the crying-like lamentation in Afro-Dominican music is deeply connected to the singing style of bachata, which some argue that sounds like a bunch of crying men, right? Uh, but I'm kind of like following, you know, um, uh, a tradition of singing styles, you know, of Afro singing styles through my work. And that's one of the ways in which I'm mapping, you know, that blackness and trying to recenter it when it comes to, to, to bachata. So at this point, I'm basically, you know, drawing those um, parallels that have not been analyzed thoroughly uh, just yet, but that I feel will be an invitation, you know, to, to go a little bit deeper into um, how black this rhythm actually is. Having examined the historical context of the Dominican Republic, Wilfredo got into the musical influences of bachata. When it comes to the influences, it's interesting because um, it's bachata is bachata, but it has like different manifestations, right, throughout history. But what we can call traditional bachata um, is 
influenced by, well, let's say was influenced by Cuban bolero, Cuban son. It also had a lot of Puerto Rican hibaro music. And it's amazing to see those confluences and interconnections of some introductions of old bachatas are exactly mimicking the um, introductions of the Puerto Rican hibaro uh, seises and also the aguinaldos of the island. So it's very interesting, like that convergence between all of those rhythms. It also um, was influenced by Mexican corrido and ranchera, by Colombian vals campesino, pasillo, vallenato. And it's so amazing that if you even follow the lyrics of um, some popular bachata songs, you will find that the original songs were cumbias or rancheras. On top of that, it also has a lot from um, Dominican merengue and Dominican mangolina, which is where kind of like merengue evolves from, right? So in the case of urban bachata, we have an intermixing of Afro-diasporic rhythms that influence it. And those are R&B, of course, rap, um, hip hop in its all-encompassing sense because it also influenced the aesthetics of uh, bachata groups such as Aventura, for example. Mm. Um, so, and, and also reggaeton, I cannot miss that um, as well. So in essence, I, I would really like to say that bachata is a purely relational rhythm, right? <laughs> that, that basically found in the Dominican Republic um, and it's diaspora, some sort of melting pot, you know, in which all rhythms, all possible rhythms of the African diaspora and Latin America in general, um, and the sounds and rhythms of, of those regions converged, you know, and, and flourished into this internationally recognized style. And it's interesting how much of um, uh, the Dominican people kind of like, you know, I'm so proud of it, but still it's the rhythm that is made up of <laughs> all this other um, amazing rhythm. So it's, it's, it's universal in that sense. Our next guest, Noeli Rubio, is a dancer and instructor from the Dominican Republic who collaborates with Meta Movements, a multi-country artist collective. Noelle's perspective as an Afro-Dominican dancer can help us navigate the music and the dance. First, we wanted to get a sense of how bachata was danced originally and the way in which traditional bachata is danced now. In the past, everything came from In the past, everything came from merengue. Traditional merengue was danced in a way that couples never let go of their hands. However, this style of dance was frowned upon by government officials, in particular by President Ulises Ero. So, in order to please this president and his government, the dance style was changed by injecting some Tiempo España style, which was considered more formal and elegant, and some instruments were changed. Those merengue origins determined how bachata was initially danced, in pairs, with no turns, and never letting go of one's partner. 
It was almost like dancing bolero. However, it was also fused with the footwork of song, where almost nothing was done with the hands. Everything was done with the feet and the hips, always in pairs and without turns. This has changed a bit, but there are still people who dance without turns, like most people from the countryside or from Bates. Bate, for those who are unfamiliar with the term, is used to refer to a poor rural community of sugarcane workers in the Dominican Republic that was formally established by Rafael Trujillo as a way to import cheap and dispensable Haitian migrant workers during the seasonal cane cutting harvest. Workers and their families who live in Bateyes even up to today, lack access to medical, social, and educational facilities. A seemingly permanent, underclass society who, in the eyes of the law, do not exist. Nowadays, the style of traditional bachata dancing depends a lot on the area of the country where you are at. Each part of the country has a different style and different teachers, like me and my colleagues, may also have different styles. That said, the characteristic that they all share is that there are no rules. Everyone can do what they want. The man does not depend on the woman, nor the woman on the man. They are connected and dance at the same time, but it's not like the woman has to wait for the man to make a step for her to follow. She can do her own footwork with what she knows, and so can he. He can also guide her to do something that they both know, but there's no rule that one has to follow the other. In addition, people who are born from the countryside or who are not trained dancers do not necessarily know the timing of the music, like instructors do, to be able to say that step starts on one or on five, but they feel the rhythm very well. It's like they feel it from their heart. Of course, we could not avoid asking about sensual bachata, which is a very popular style of bachata dance and music. So it's no secret that I personally have not spoken favorably about sensual bachata in the past or ever. I can definitely attest to that. <laughs> But it is an incredibly popular style in our dance scene here in the Triangle and truthfully around the world. Noeli elaborated on some of the differences between traditional bachata and sensual bachata, specifically related to its reception in the Dominican Republic and what its popularity has meant to the bachata rhythm. Para mí, for me, traditional and sensual bachata are totally different. In traditional bachata, we have several types of basic steps that pretty much don't exist in sensual bachata, such as the lateral basic and the square basic. We also never stop marking the four steps, that is, three steps and the tap. In sensual bachata, some of those four steps are lost when dancers stop to do body rolls or movements like that and forget the feet. But for us, in traditional bachata, the most important things are the feet and the hips, which characterize traditional bachata. Additionally, we tend to prefer a different type of music to dance than the ones used by sensual bachata dancers. 
That said, in my opinion, the popularity of sensual bachata has made traditional bachata more famous as well, because sensual bachata reached audiences further away first, and then people who did not like the sensual style became more interested in the traditional style. As this happened, people started looking into where bachata comes from, how it's danced, and what it was originally. That was what opened doors for traditional bachata to enter into other countries where people only knew sensual bachata, because most Dominicans didn't have the resources to travel and there weren't as many references online. One way in which I think the popularization of bachata has affected us Dominican dancers is that not all Dominicans who dance well and who can represent the Dominican Republic well have the adequate support to be able to do so in other countries. I know that there is a lot of talent, and I don't know why this might be, but I feel that foreign people are supported more than Latinos themselves when it comes to dance. Many people, teachers for example, from Germany, Spain, and other countries, prefer to learn with Latin American teachers and then teach the dance in their original country, instead of providing Latinos an opportunity to go to their country to teach. Now, I can see how this makes sense for the foreign instructors. However, it makes it a bit difficult for people who can or want to teach or make their way into the world of dance who do not have the opportunities. But I do think that the popularization of sensual bachata helps because the more people know sensual bachata, the more people know traditional bachata, and the more people get interested in coming here to the Dominican Republic. There are more and more dance festivals in the Dominican Republic, and many people come to learn. That is something that I think we Dominicans could not achieve without the role of sensual bachata. I like sensual bachata. I think it's beautiful, but it is not my strength and I don't teach it. There are hardly any teachers of sensual bachata here because obviously we would have to pay foreign teachers to learn and it is difficult because there aren't foreign teachers of sensual bachata here because there isn't a market for it and I don't think that they would have many clients. People who come here come only for traditional bachata. They do not come here for sensual bachata, probably because they can get sensual bachata anywhere in the world. Porque te fuiste y me dejaste Si soy el macho de tu vida, mami in the songs that we have listened to over the years and the songs that we hear in the United States, we have found that the treatment of women is not necessarily respectful or endearing. This is not news in many genres of music, but we wanted to know if there was anything special about bachata here. We wanted to know if our perception was a fair representation of bachata music or whether the selection of broadcasted songs was biased. It is indeed a fair representation. You know, I cannot go against that. Um, but I'd like to say that there were and are lots of resistant voices, you know, um, that were obscured by the male counterparts or by the industry's need to present a masculine face for the rhythm, pretty much. Um, and I want to, you know, take this chance to mention just a few because I think it's important to name them. Um, and for example, we have um, Melida Rodriguez, we have Aridia Ventura, we have um, Alexandra, which was a part of the duo Monchi and Alexandra. Now she is 
doing music on her own and um, she's calling herself the queen of bachata and she is, you know, <laughs> because she's the longest standing um, bachata um, uh, singer, you know, women singer. And we also have Andre Veloz in New York City um, breaking, you know, the stereotype of bachata having to be a male-centered um, uh, style or simply deprecatory uh, towards women. So I think we are now at a point where we can simply say that the afterlives <laughs> of Dominican masculinity are meant to be abolished. <laughs> so in order you know, to analyze uh, the richness of a music um, such as, as bachata, so it is important to continue to confront this um, macho-centered dynamics of the genre and give space you know, to women bachateras who have been doing this for a long time. And the ones I mentioned, for example, Melida Rodriguez and Aridia Ventura, they were doing bachata during the, you know, by the end of the 60s and 70s when the bachata started. So this is not that they were like, oh no, I'm, I now want to do bachata too. Like, and no, it, they were part of the communities that made bachata what it, what it is today. So they were there, right? So, and I, I think that, you know, um, very, you know, strongly that there are many more women bachateras um, that are here already doing the work, you know, and, and ready to continue doing so. So um, like Andre Veloz uh, loves to say, and she even has some um, memorabilia about it, um, make bachata female again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because in the end, who's at the center of all these lyrics? Women. Yeah. Even if you are putting them down, you know, um, it is at the center. Noeli also shared some of her thoughts regarding the content of Bachata songs and the history related to it. In the old days, Bachata songs were played in places such as cantinas or brothels, the objective being that those men who were feeling sad or heartbroken as they listened to those songs, they could see themselves in the music, which then reinforced their sadness, leading them to spend lots of money on alcohol. Bachata music was for those places, those bars frequented by working men traveling from one town to another to work, who perhaps had to be away from their families for long periods of time and whose wives may have married someone else by the time they returned. At that time, there was no telephone. It was hard to communicate. These men would be gone for five or six months, and the woman would know very little of the men's whereabouts. It could also happen that the man would fall in love with the prostitute working in the bar, and the love not being reciprocated would sadden the man. At that time, bachata singers didn't record the music. Instead, the singers would go to these bars and play, and I think they wrote their songs based on what they saw and what they lived in that environment. Bachata is hence characterized by these types of lyrics. There is even a reggaeton singer who says that the reggaetonero talks about one thing, but the bachatero is always crying because the woman left him for another man. Hence, 
It is like a characteristic of bachata music that a woman was unfaithful or that she leaves or abandons the man for another one. Also, because these songs are typically sung by men, there are almost no woman bachateras. But there are also songs that speak beautifully about women. And there are songs that are funny. The music keeps changing with artists like Romeo and Prince Royce. We heard from Wilfredo that there are few explicit race-driven discussions on the contributions of black people to the rhythm of bachata. Given this fact, we thought this would be a wonderful opportunity to use our platform as a place to contribute to these conversations within the context of the social dance scene. To do this, we asked a number of black bachateros y bachateras to offer some thoughts about this topic. This is actually one of my favorite parts about doing this podcast. Hearing from people in our very own community helps expand and enrich the dialogue we have about this dance. You may remember Jordan Alaina from our Mi Gente track and our Gotitas de Color single. Jordan has been such a wonderful supporter of the Mixtape podcast and she's always so insightful. You know, I couldn't tell you how many people I've come across in the dance scene who are unaware that bachata originated in the Dominican Republic and who have never heard an actual quote-unquote traditional Dominican bachata song. And when most people think of bachata music, they think of bachata sensual instead of Dominican bachata, which is so interesting because now there are two different styles of music and dance within one genre. You know, when they think of bachata singers, they don't know about um, Anthony Santos or Oscar Sarante, these, you know, prominent black bachata singers who really brought the music to the forefront. These, um, these black artists who walked so that bachata artists of today could run. And, you know, this makes sense because looking at the representation of the most popular bachata artists this day and age, it's mainly... Romeo Santos and Prince Royce, neither of whom sing very traditionally sounding Dominican bachata music. I mean, Romeo Santos did in the past, but his current style is more modern. And neither of these artists are perceived as being black, which is, which is fine because music evolves and that's how it spreads. And it's wonderful that bachata music is as popular internationally as it is considering the fact that it originated in a smaller Latin Caribbean country. However, the other side of that, the reality is that the original work and traditions often become warped as a result. And then a majority of people aren't aware of the roots and where it actually came from. It isn't thought of as black music, but it is. And most people don't know that it originated in the rural areas of the Dominican Republic, and that during the dictatorship of Trujillo, it was considered taboo and uncouth because it didn't fit his image of a modern regime. But as with many cultural Black creations and traditions, they start out being condemned, but then when they're adopted, and some might say stolen by other cultures, then they become pop culture. Then they become cool and accepted. But the Black people who created them aren't credited for having come up with these traditions and cultures. So the question is, what do we do to remedy this? Well, um, firstly, we could 
start to support traditional Dominican bachata artists more by playing their music at socials and giving them the exposure they deserve so that people become more familiar with this style of music. And secondly, we can put out our own literature as correctional education. And lastly, we can incorporate teaching the history of bachata into our dance lessons, classes, and workshops so that people can get an all-encompassing idea of what bachata truly is. Next, we have Courtney Cooper-Luder, who is a dancer in the Triangle's Afro-Latin dancing and a fellow social worker. And we also have her partner, Antonio Chagui Feliz, who is an Afro-Dominican himself. Hi everyone, my name is Courtney. I am a Latin dancer in the Triangle scene. I started my dance journey with learning Dominican bachata. And I'm also here joined with Chagui, who is originally from Dominican Republic, from Barahona, from Un Pueblo Negro, a black town in Barahona, um, and grew up listening to bachata his whole life. Bachata rarely engages with blackness unambiguously. And like for me as a black woman, that does matter. Um, I Part of the reason why I love Dominican bachata and why I chose to study abroad in Dominican Republic was because of the black people and the black representation that I had known from um, learning about Dominican Republic. So I do wish that I had seen more black representation. But I will say like my view of bachata is skewed to what is more or previously was skewed to what was more mainstream bachata as opposed to like what Chaggy grew up knowing and listening to. Bachata uh, for me um, has been not just an identification of our um, um, society coming from a low um, uh, or poor society in my country, but even though it doesn't speak um, straight from uh, or straight about um, black people, but is it is sung by um, black people, and it is um, sings to black people as well. So even though it doesn't mention it as much, it does identify us as, you know, a group of people that came out with this uh, type of music to show up our feelings and and bring up some joys and and ways of happiness, even though we were not in the great, in the greater classes in our country. Do you wish that Bachata talked about blackness more directly? I sure do, yes, because um, um, it is a very popular um, um, music nowadays, and it does has a lot of roots that I know for myself that it can it can change a lot of things um, towards making the bachata better for other people that don't know about that music. I think one of the ways that people can use bachata to dismantle anti-blackness is to learn about the singers, learn about the music and the the roots of the music and the the how it became what it is today and why it became what it is today. So learning about the history, I think we have an opportunity in our dance scene to start our dance classes with that foundation just having that conversation in the beginning of the session towards the middle of the session or even at the end just so people can understand why 
why Dominican bachata is what it is and like how we've gotten to all of these places where we've gotten from sensual bachata or gotten to urban and then sensual bachata um, and who's made these shifts and how I think that's also important. So I think at dance socials, playing more traditional bachata, exposing more people to traditional Dominican bachata is a key in how we can make it, make people more aware. Next, we have Angel Garcia, that incredibly popular, curly-haired, easygoing bachata dancer that we all love here in our Dancing in the Triangle. Hi, I'm Angel Garcia. I'm from the island, um, Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, um, you know, that pretty much invented bachata. And before it was a popular style of dancing worldwide, it was something that was literally looked at as a lower class type of music. It was something that was only danced in like the countryside or what some would refer to like slum bars in the capital. Um, but it was something that was kind of risque um, and something that only the lower class danced. And if it wasn't typical bachata, it was um, kind of, you know, perceived as risque or, you know, kind of taboo. Um, not like the sensual bachata nowadays or anything that, you know, is written by like Romeo Santos or Prince Royce or anything like that, that it's revered as loving, as kind of like a soap opera. There's, you know, drama in the songs and stuff. Um, but there's always been a blackness uh, attached to bachata, but the denotation of that goes back to Dominican culture that they denounce, or at least a majority of Dominicans denounce that they have African roots, um, which is sad, but they, a lot, of, a majority believe that, uh, you know, the more African roots you have, the lesser you are, which is certainly not the case. Um, but I mean, that's just an old style mindset that, you know, I think we are slowly chipping away at, which I'm grateful for. Um, but yeah, honestly, um, to, to love bachata is to love where it comes from. And a lot of the original bachateros, you know, not including Juan Luis Sierra, um, had a lot of melanin. Like, they were dark Dominicans. Um, and, of course, Dominicans, you know, are derived of African slaves that were brought over by colonizers as well as uh, colonizers and natives. So to do you know any African roots is to you know who you actually are. Um, so, yeah, I know there's a lot to learn from that, but bachata is, um, it honestly is amazing, and to denote it would be tragic. To love bachata is to love where it comes from. I absolutely love that. Lastly, we heard from Kamar E. Banks, 
also a black dancer in the Triangle's Afro-Latin dance scene. For me, bachata music does not have to engage unambiguously with blackness. For most of us in the community, if you've been around and have taken any classes or workshops, you've been exposed to the history of the music. In my experience, many of the instructors make it a point to deliver an understanding of the historical nature of the music with relation to its African roots and cultural importance, which I feel is impossible to separate. And personally, I believe in an understanding of the lyrics, but also as a non-Latino and non-native speaker, I personally don't uh, necessarily get the context of the music at all times due to language. Therefore, I lean more heavily towards feeling the rhythm uh, rather than the lyrics. As far as um, what I believe could be done in our environment to facilitate learning of the foundation of bachata, I believe in a more forward-leaning approach could be taken into learning the history. Um, it may not be enough for some of the instructors to give a brief lesson on the history, but maybe if there was a real concerted effort on behalf of the instructors and community at large to ensure uh, there's a base of knowledge of understanding with all students, regardless of dance levels, experience, and especially with those new to the community or outside the Latin culture. Uh, I've experienced a few cultural exchange events, and I believe this would be a great vehicle to impart some of that history of bachata music uh, to our community. Uh, this will also open doors to other cultures and music, uh, which could help grow the community. These reflections come from our own local community, but given what we found constructing this episode, I will be surprised if they didn't apply to any other social dance community. The voices of our community members make a compelling case for all of us in our dance communities to think about how we have engaged this rhythm in the past and how we can work to engage it more deeply moving forward. Yes, an incredibly compelling case. I'm so grateful for our community members, as well as our other guests, Wilfredo and Noeli, for taking time to offer these perspectives and knowledge. I'd actually like to reflect on something Noelle said. She discussed the traditional style of dance in which people would be connected at the hands but could do what they would like with their feet. I felt like that was really progressive. It is progressive. I think that's super progressive. <laughs> uh, almost like an interdependence, like connected and yet free. Maybe I let that hit a little too hard, but I'm really intrigued by this perspective that I can personally connect with in this dance. Now, I also want to set the record straight. I like listening to bachata. So you say. It sounds like I'm convincing myself. <laughs> but I like both urban and traditional, probably because I've been listening to it all week in preparation for this episode. But in truth, I like only dancing to traditional. In our conversation with Noelle, she mentioned that we each have our preferences. And truthfully, traditional is mine. And it probably has something to do with the progressive nature of the footwork. Right. In my case, I enjoy dancing both rhythms. Probably enjoy traditional a little more because of the footwork. 
But I can dance essential bachata here and there for okay, sure. Okay, okay. Although, you know, it's hard. The level of intimacy and trust it requires, it's hard to give on a song-by-song -song basis for an introvert like me. Now, if I already know you, that's a different story. Okay, so I really enjoy how these Afro-Latin rhythms that we love to dance and listen to have in them so much hidden meaning, so many doors to be open and explore. The development of bachata in particular is fascinating, but it's also revealing of the conflicts of racial identity that exist in the Dominican Republic and in Latin America at large. In our countries, Afro-descendants of mixed race, like myself, who have the opportunity to distance themselves from blackness have often done so largely in an attempt to avoid the discrimination faced by those who cannot hide their blackness. I appreciate you saying that. As a Puerto Rican black woman born in the United States, I've often struggled with understanding the way people from Latin America interact with the construct of race, particularly Latinos in the United States and the way that many attempt to distance themselves from race by identifying only with their ethnicity. Much like we've heard from and like I've experienced of friends from the Dominican Republic. It's my impression that racism manifests differently in Latin America than it does in the United States. But here in the US, racism is a central driver of inequality, which makes it incredibly hard to ignore and that much more important to talk about across ethnicities. I really underestimated what we could learn from this episode, and I'm really excited about letting all of this information sit with us. And in that sense, we wanted to finish the episode with a reflection by Wilfredo, which appropriately encompasses some of the most important discussions we had in the making of this episode. The racialized consciousness is shown in the ways in which we talk about the, the rhythm and the ways in which we talk about racial consciousness and racial belonging in bachata. So what I'm trying to do with my work, which is, you know, recentering or let's, you know, finding that blackness, <laughs> putting it back where it belongs in a way, is, is to extend an invitation to everybody to, to look beyond the most apparent things about a certain rhythm, you know, by, for example, by adding this sound layer, this sonic layer to racial discussions of Dominicanidad, um, which is so central to a sense of belonging to something, right? Music, rhythm, sound. By adding that sound, rhythmic and, and music layer, we may be able, I guess, to unpack and dismantle um, many nationalistic discourses and ideologies that only look forward to um, sustaining white supremacy, you know, which in, in this case, for example, leads us to be labeling something by what we see from the outside, but not engaging with the deeper meanings, you know, and, and class, gender, and racial implications um, of such a rich music style, you know, and, and what happens with all those implications when we dance together. That's an open-ended question that I would like for everybody to like engage with in their own time. Thanks for listening. This is Mixtape. To listen to the songs featured on the episode and songs featured in other episodes from the Rhythm Season, check out Season 2 Playlist, which can be found at our website, tarheels.live slash mixtapepodcast. 
Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at mixtape.podcast, as well as Twitter and YouTube, which are easily accessed through our website. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications for all our new episodes. Thanks for listening. This is Mixtape.